It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show David Brown, the CEO of FSET, and it is a, uh, an internet service provider uh, as well as an information technology service company that provides service to the north. They're based out of Kenora, Ontario. And so, uh, David, it's a pleasure to, to have you here on the show today. Thank you uh, for the invitation. Always happy to uh, share, uh, you know, what we know, what we've learned with with others that uh, will hopefully help them and uh, in their journey. Mm. Yeah. Before we get started, and we're here to talk about a pretty interesting story that's happening with uh, broadband internet in the north. I understand that FSET, your your company, is uh, is working with. Uh, Starlink, which of course is a SpaceX, and uh, providing service into Bikanjikum. But just before we get there, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your company? And as I say, you're based out of out of uh, Kenora. What are the services that you guys provide? Sure. So we've been around for about 20 years or so. We founded in in 1999, starting out as a, a local. Uh, information technology and services company. Uh, we started to expand and extend uh, our services across the region uh, here in northwestern Ontario uh, into Manitoba and now we're doing business uh, you know right across the province, Quebec uh, and other areas. So we have a, a focus and a specialty on uh, law enforcement, on healthcare services, uh, coming up with what we think to be forward and progressive um, thinking uh, solutions uh, to try and solve problems and and allow people within those different industries uh, to be able to do their jobs more effectively, more efficiently. So we provide desktop as a service, so hosted solutions, uh, IT staffing and support, and, uh, and consulting services to help people navigate information technology and, and services uh, who don't necessarily have um, sometimes it's not that they don't have the people on staff, it's that they don't have enough people on staff. Mm. So sometimes it's just a matter of bandwidth and they need somebody who can do some R&D or help out or has done some some exploration and has put together a solution. Mm. Other times you're dealing with small organizations, uh, nonprofits and things like that that don't have much of a budget, if any, mm-hmm. and uh, need a little bit of help. So we we jump in and pitch in where we can. Being in the North and working with the North, what are some of the challenges that people that are so wired and so connected in the South may not realize that, that you are dealing with and that other people in the North are dealing with on a daily basis, something that, that we may not realize? Well, I don't think we can complain here in, in you know, Kenora, Dryden, Fort Francis, mm-hmm. which are smaller municipalities and cities. Um, as you get into the more rural municipalities, the smaller uh, townships and things like that, as you start to uh, go to some of these indigenous communities, um, you realize that the access to connectivity isn't there uh, or it's very little. And what they do have really doesn't allow them to have the quality of life that most of us take for granted. So we had to come up with a different way uh, to help and uh, overcome those challenges. And the traditional means through terrestrial-based solutions, working with telecommunication 
telecommunication companies just wasn't an option and and wasn't proving fruitful. So we had to do something different. Hmm. Um, so I remember a couple of months ago, we heard the story about uh, SpaceX uh, bringing broadband satellite service uh, through their, their uh, low orbit satellite system to Canada and to remote communities. Now, am I to understand, though, that, that you reached out to SpaceX? Is that how this went? It, it is. I just at a point after eight months of, of working on this project and uh, being frustrated with the, the lack of progress and the assistance that I was able to provide uh, to Pekanjikum, uh, not necessarily through any fault of my own. It just it just isn't an option. There isn't a path. So it was at that point I just I knew of this uh, Leo satellite uh, constellation solution that was uh, being built, being created, being worked on. I didn't realize how far along SpaceX was in this process uh, and how close uh, we were to actually being able to implement it. But yeah, basically, I just started trying to ask anyone and everyone if they had a contact at SpaceX, tried reaching out to people on LinkedIn that worked for the company. And eventually I was put in touch with with some individuals who, uh, you know, we couldn't have done this without them and, and without their support. So, um, yeah, I mean, ask the girl you got a crush on uh, to dance <laughs> and all, all you can do is hope she says yes, right? So, yeah. Well, that's great. That's wonderful news. So, and you know, so why I asked that question is we heard, you know, it was SpaceX that had sort of initiated, or at least it seemed to, to sound like that. But uh, now what, from what I understand is it's you, you're the one that reached out and this has is, is now blossomed into, into something that could actually benefit uh, many, many remote communities. In this case, yes, uh, particular to Pekanjikum, obviously this is a technology that was uh, on its way and, and uh, would eventually reach and will eventually reach all Canadians in, in underserved communities. Um, but there was a sense of, uh, of need in Pekanjikum um, and it was about quality of life. Not once did they ever ask about Netflix or mm. uh, games or gaming or anything like that. Every conversation, every request was about just simple services that uh, that COVID especially has necessitated us mm. to be online for. So, right. um, you know, the technology was there. It was coming. I didn't invent anything. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I think I might have been the most stubborn person um, uh, to, to, to go out and try and make this happen, to just simply not take no for an answer and not give up on, on trying to solve the problem. But uh, I certainly didn't come up with anything or invent anything. I just just, uh, you know, kind of dug my teeth in and, and didn't let go. Right. Uh, David, of course, we know that fiber optics is, is, is great for Internet connectivity. It gives you a lot of options, gives you a lot of great speed, and allows you to, uh, to transfer a lot of information very quickly. As we know, that isn't, isn't an option at this point in time. How is the, this uh, SpaceX and Starlink service? You know, I saw the little video that you guys put together on this, and, uh, and you guys show the process of going through it, and within a very short, short period of time of setting up the equipment, you know, somebody's got their phone and they're showing us how, how the service is uh, megabits per second are, are coming in through, the, through that uh, line, and it's a, a huge difference. So what, what is this service actually doing that is, that is different than, say, I don't know, other, other satellite or other uh, uh, wireless kind of networks? Uh, well, your typical ExplorerNet type 
service, uh, which is geostationary satellites that are typically, you know, uh, tens of thousands or however many kilometers above the earth. Um, they can be used for consumption uh, in some cases, but this, the service isn't great. It's very, very expensive. It's costly and uh, it requires um, someone to come and do the installation for you. I haven't talked to anybody, especially, you know, for a business case where they've said, I've used ExplorerNet and it's, it's beautiful. It does yeah. everything we get to do. That just, that just isn't something or a feedback or a view you get. They are constantly looking for something else, something more. They've tried it. They cancel it. Um, Starlink technology is, is LEO, so uh, low earth orbiting. Uh, and it's a constellation of satellites. They're uh, up around a thousand satellites now. They're wow. putting another 60 up every two weeks or so. So wow. 120, give or take a month. And um, it's only a couple hundred, you know, a few hundred kilometers above the Earth's atmosphere. So um, you've got something that is much more reliable in terms of the, uh, so you, not only do you get better speeds, but I think what's equally important to discuss is the latency, because the latency is really what allows you to do business, to be able to operate in real time. And even for recreational purposes, the ability for kids to be online and, and play games and things like that. Uh, if you don't have a decent latency, you, you can have the fastest connection in the world, but you're going to have a lot of problems because of that latency. So because of this LEO technology, uh, that latency is very, very low. It's very comparable to what we see in Kenora with uh, cable or fiber. Um, so it, it levels the playing field and, and really provides access to all of the online services and resources that uh, communities like Pakanjikum are in need of. It's really fascinating. And of course, it's wonderful to hear that that service is available. Um, now, you say it's fairly, it's fairly comparable to, to a fiber internet service? Well, from a latency perspective, okay. so we, from a download, you know, again, most people focus on the speed, but yes. we were seeing 120, 130, as you see in the video down, mm. and that was within 15, 20 minutes of landing. Right. Um, th there is nothing to the installation that the average person I don't think would be comfortable doing. Uh, I could see maybe a more elderly person if they have to put something on the roof right. and don't feel comfortable climbing up on the ladder. Um, but for the most part, you unbox the unit, which is what we did. We put it on the ground outside of the, the health authority there in Pekanjikum. And within 15 to 20 minutes of landing in the community, I'm video conferencing uh, with the people there. And it's that simple. The dish has actuators in it. It positions itself. You don't, oh, really? need, a, uh, you don't need a technician to come and do that for you. Um, so you run the cable inside your home. So if, as long as you're comfortable, you've got a path in the home or you need to drill a hole, you're comfortable doing that. You plug it in and away you go. So it, it's that easy to set up. Uh, you get service that quickly, uh, eventually. So right now the public beta, uh, if you were to get selected or you get an invite for the public beta, you order the system, you get the system within days and within the days of receiving the system, you're online within minutes. And you now have high-speed internet access. It might not be gigabit, you know, right. not yet. Yeah. But as this is kind of what I say is the floor, not the ceiling. What you're seeing is not, um, you know, the best it's going to be. This is just the start right. of something incredible. So it only gets better from here. The more satellites that are that uh, go into orbit, the better the performance, the better the coverage, the more coverage uh, that is available. 
And uh, once they get the, uh, the KA application, I believe it is, so the mm. approval for that, they can then start to put gateways in, in Canada and they will then be able to reach even further north and help the people beyond, uh, beyond Pakanjikum and, and uh, up around 52 degrees latitude. So uh, hopefully those come from, from ISED and the, and the Canadian government sooner than later. And the sooner we get those approvals and uh, get the green light, the sooner, well, not we, but the sooner SpaceX uh, can put the gateways in Canada and uh, cover all of the country. So, Do you see this as a service that is only, right now it is for the north, but it could can it service the south as well if people wanted to get a wireless service like this? I think this service is going to be for anyone who doesn't have internet access. Um, you know, CRTC has said that uh, their target for Canadians is uh, 50 down and 10 up. Um, they don't speak much about latency, but that's important. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, this service already meets and uh, greatly exceeds those minimum requirements. But you don't have to be in the north to take advantage of it. This is a solution that is going to provide access to people around the globe, to uh, locations in Africa that might be hard to reach, mm-hmm. to places in the Caribbean that might be hard to reach, in the U.S., obviously, in Europe. So, this solves a problem that traditional solutions, terrestrial-based solutions, running fiber, running cable, um, isn't able to solve, not cost-effectively, not easily, right. not in a timely manner. So th- this is going to change the world for people. And I, you know, I say this isn't about recreation. This is about quality of life. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, going beyond that, I think it's about saving lives, delivering healthcare services and resources and mental health and, uh, you know, virtual care and justice and things like that. Um, quality of life, saving lives, improving, uh, you know, the way that uh, people that don't have access to these resources can now go about their day. So right. you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in those coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is David Brown. He is the CEO of FSET and uh, it is an internet uh, information technology company based out of Kenora. We're talking about the recent installation that they did in Pekanjikum of SpaceX Starlink technology broadband internet, which in a matter of minutes uh, made a huge difference difference to the connectivity for that community. David, when you you set this up, were were you surprised at the at the the download speed that you were seeing when you first plugged it in? Uh I I was um I don't want to say I was surprised because I certainly uh I, I'm not going to be uh someone who's going to bet against uh <laughs> Elon uh, more often than not or hmm. in, in each and every case when he said he's going to do something that hmm. seems he seems to deliver on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I was um, incredibly, I guess, impressed. Mm. I just, you, how easy this was, how quick it is, how good the service has been. Um, You know, you have an expectation that, Hey, I expect that this is going to be good, but it was, it's not good. It's great. It's Mm. everything that is being talked about and advertised and then some. And, and again, I can't, uh, I think what 
what surprises me even more or what I'm more impressed by is that this is just the start, you know, to some people, this is where they want to get to, right? right? This is the finish line. If we, if we had this, this would be all I could ever ask for. And I'll never ask for another thing again, but that's not where we are. We're at right. the, we're at the starting line yet. The gun hasn't even gone off. The race hasn't even started. So right. I, I, where this can go and what this can do and how this can change the world. I, I don't think it can be understated. Um, I don't, you know, I, a lot of talk about 5g, everyone's focusing mm. on 5g and mm. that, that's great for some of the services in the bigger cities and, and more densely uh, populated areas of the world. But the truth is not everybody lives in Vancouver or Toronto or, or uh, some of these other cities in Canada. So for the rest of the country, for the rest of the world, I think, you know, Starlink is the technology that, um, uh, really is going to change the lives of, of more people than 5G will. David, what what kind of service did the community have prior to this? What were they dealing with there? So they had uh, one gigabit of fiber uh, going to a cable plant. The cable plant delivered uh, that bandwidth to 400 plus homes and businesses and a couple thousand residents. So they were collectively sharing one gigabit. And, you know, for many of us in Kenora, Toronto, wherever it might be, we have access to gigabit service yeah. uh, to a single home for right. a single resident sure. you can get gigabit service. So they were sharing this. And and I often make the analogy for people to, um, I guess, understand what that might look like. It's, it's kind of like trying to feed a half inch copper water main into a apartment complex or a hotel. Mm. And, uh, you know, some or a few people turn on the shower and you got a bunch of people standing there and nobody's getting a shower, right? Yep. So did, did they have a, a connection to the cable plant? Yes. Um, in theory, was there supposed to be internet access? Yes. But in reality, th- there was no access. There was no ability to do anything. They couldn't video conference. They couldn't mm-hmm. talk to family. They couldn't download attachments. They couldn't send email. I mean, it, it just nothing could be done. Um and uh, after a few months of, of trying to explore uh, expanding on that and getting that increased, that bandwidth increased and, and uh, not being able to get anywhere, that's, that's where the process and, and the start of trying to get a hold of SpaceX uh, came. Right. And now explain this to me because you, you've described it in terms of being able for a, one person to be able to you know, hook this up on their own. But is this is the link that they now have for the entire community? Is it just for the building that was it was set up? And how is that? How does that system work? Yeah, so we did um, basically when we approached SpaceX, and and once we received the approval, once they came back and said that uh, that this project was going to be approved, um, this was going to be under a private beta. So. You know, it was approved very, very early on. We were hoping to be able to go live by the end of August. Uh, there were a couple of approvals that we needed here in Canada before we could start, and those came early November. So at the time, when we first started talking to the individuals at SpaceX, they said, well, based on the satellites uh, that are that, that we've launched, the coverage, the, the location of the cell, et cetera, we can start with 60 units. Um, so we identified 15 units for the businesses and then 45 units for homes and residents. So we started with the 15 um, setup installation connectivity of the 15 units. Uh, and then the uh, community uh, worked on doing the other 45 units. So we, we did those the first 15 collaboratively together. 
um, just helping out in um, whatever way uh, we could help out and vice versa. And then we just uh, left it with them and they did the rest of the installations and they're, uh, they're looking for more units already. So, uh, so this is individual uh, sort of service then? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You certainly can get creative with it. For example, so there there are ways that you could bring a single service in and share that with your neighbor or mm. or people close by. You could do that by running uh, wired or or point to point type wireless solutions or 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 Wi-Fi possibly. Mm. Mm. Um, but generally, the principle of it is you get a unit per home, just like you get a cable modem or a fiber modem in your home. Um, certainly in larger facilities so if you're in a remote location but you've got a number of programs as is often the case you've got one big building but you've got a number of different programs number of different people in different yeah. offices you could potentially take two of these kits and uh, through link aggregation basically kind of uh, bond them together and then through link link aggregation by combining the two you could uh, do things like uh, traffic shaping with firewall rules quality of service uh, by having voice and video go out one and, and data out the other. Mm. Um, so there's a number of ways you can get creative for bigger facilities to uh, to, uh, to go from one to two units if, if needed. Right. So how did the community react? How would you say that, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the Chief Dean Owen has, has commented as well and is really hoping for great things that this could provide for his community. I guess even, you know, like, like you said, a teleconference with your doctor uh, wow. becomes a lot easier as well for, for health purposes, those kind of things, education, all of those advantages. Uh, what would you say that the, uh, the reaction was when they saw this? I think... You know, it- Again, I, I've said, uh, you know, in the video in terms of um, how rewarding this project for mm. me was, uh, was based on their reaction, mm. you know, uh, uh, accomplishing something, getting a project done, doing, you know, what you've been asked to do. Um, we've worked on a lot of great projects, a lot of things that are that are rewarding and technically, professionally, you feel like you've accomplished something. But in this particular case, it wasn't. It was about what we accomplished for these individuals specifically. Um, and I've never worked with a community. I've never worked on a project. I've never worked with an individual who's been more excited, more happy about what that work and that project means to them and their community. And, and um, you know, I, I don't know how you can... Uh, you know, what could be more rewarding than that? So from, from that perspective, it was just, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was, it was some hard, it was hard work. It it took a while. Um, You had to knock on a lot of doors to get there, but, uh, but the end result, um, the amount of fun it was to do something new, something special, something unique to have the people at SpaceX want this to be a success as much as we did, as much as the community did. uh, It just made it, a very, very special thing to be a part of and, and something that uh, I certainly will never forget and, and uh, definitely will go down as, as uh, my favorite project and, and most enjoyable, most rewarding. All right. Uh, cost-wise, uh, you said that other services, high-orbit satellite is very expensive. How does that compare? What, what are, the, are there any numbers you can share with us around this? Yeah, so these these are all publicly available right now. Um, people that are on the private or public beta that have gotten invites. The the cost of the dish itself is uh, six hundred and forty nine Canadian. 
I believe uh, for individuals signing up, there's a $65 shipping and handling fee to uh, ship the dish to you. And, and again, that comes within days. So you're getting your money's worth there. Um, there are different mounts. So if you don't have a flat surface, a deck, a field, something you can stand the, uh, the unit on top of that's level uh, or close to level, uh, there's a couple of mounts for the roofs. Uh, and in this case, that's what we did in Pekanch. Can we use the Ridgeline uh, mount? It's $130 uh, Canadian, but it doesn't require any uh, penetration into the roof. So you don't mm. have to drill into the roof. It just mm. kind of lays on top of a mat that sits on top of the peak of your roof. And then you use some bricks uh, to keep it in place and give it some weight and you're good to go. There's a volcano mount that you can use on the slope of the roof, but it does require drilling into the roof, but they send you everything you need uh, for that. So if you, um, if that's the best use case or best way to do it, certainly you can go that route. Um, so basically on the high end with the Ridgeline mount, you're looking at with shipping and handling $144 a month. When you compare that though to, you know, a rental on a, a cable modem or on a fiber modem, you typically pay a few six, you know, $12, whatever it is a month, mm. depending on your provider, that this works out to be about 12, $13 a month if you break it down over a few years. So, mm. um, you know, I think when you approach it from that perspective, the costs are reasonable. Right. The subscription service itself is $129 a month. Uh, that, however, is you're under no obligation. There's no contract. So therefore, if without a contract, there's no early termination fee. So if you cancel the service, you're not penalized for it. You can, to my understanding, I believe use this seasonally. So you could have a cottage camp residence somewhere that you only spend six months uh, of the year at. You could turn it on for six months and then turn it off for six and there are no uh, data uh, caps, no overage fees, mm. nothing like that. So, and, you know, a satellite, um, you know, ExplorerNet and some of the other systems, they'll give you that package that says for the first, uh, however many megs or gigs that you use, we give you this speed. But after that, it drops down, uh, like right down. Right. And um it's not a reliable service. You have to pay for the installation in most cases. I think it's $99. Uh, could be more depending on where you live. So if you're more than 50 kilometers away, there's additional costs and expenses. But uh, yeah, you don't need anybody to install this for you. And uh, worst case scenario, you get a buddy, a neighbor, someone who can give you a hand. Um, you don't need to point the dish at a specific uh, location as long as the dish has a clear view of the sky, an unobstructed view of of uh the sky above it will do everything for you yeah i saw that it, it's self-directing like you said and it's not very big and it looks very lightweight no it's uh i think it's 19 inch yeah. uh so it's basically a extra large pizza right so. <laughs> yeah and and lightweight it looked i think some whoever was carrying it i think we're lifting it with one arm so it, it is it's it's very well built and it it um I think in, in some cases when, you know, tip, people who have internet access, when you plug this in, turn it on and show it to them, it, it's somewhat anticlimactic for them, uh, but certainly not for these other communities. But the thing is just well-designed, well-built. The modem is is in the dish itself. Mm. Uh, it comes with a, a router 
that you can use that will provide wireless uh, in your home. Hmm. For business use cases, uh, you can uh, use your own security appliance, if you will. So we're doing some of that uh, to monitor and manage some of these remote locations. So we actually provide IT support and things like that uh, through this equipment and it uh, works beautifully. It's, it's uh, just very well done, very well designed. And uh, we've provided a little bit of feedback on maybe some options around the mounts and, and um, you know, some of the challenges getting uh, some of this stuff up to the far, far north. And they've been great. Took the feedback uh, to the people that uh, work there and said, "Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do and what makes sense." So. That's that's wonderful news. It's great to hear. What what a great story! Congratulations uh, on you in in getting this uh, put into the community and bringing this service to them so that they uh, finally have some uh, decent connectivity. Uh, as I'm sure other communities will be very happy to hear about this as well. Uh, one other thing is, you were talking there. You said you could you could do this seasonally if you want. There's a lot of uh, variations that you could you could have it is this would this be mobile as well so let's say you had a motorhome or something you, you could install it there and take it with you uh when you're traveling around in the summer or something so that is uh technology that they are working on mm. so the way the way this works for pecanjicum for example is that pecanjicum falls within a certain cell and above okay. that cell there are satellites designated to provide coverage okay. yeah. within that cell so uh, those satellites are activated, enabled, turned on to be able to deliver to transmit and receive data from uh, within the cell where Pekanjikum falls. So the challenge would be is for all cells to be enabled everywhere uh, to be able to do something like that. They are working on technology. I've uh, I've seen some articles and conversations around stuff mm-hmm. with uh, with airplanes, aircraft, etc. Uh, we've certainly had conversations where they said, yes, this can be done around actually taking, uh, so we do a lot of stuff in law enforcement. We've had conversations with agencies in the Caribbean about how we can envision, uh, because of the challenges around natural disasters and things like that, we can envision rather than the detachment being the detachment. And sometimes you have problems with infrastructure because of storms and things like that. The cruiser or vehicle itself could be the detachment and the hotspot, and you could connect devices to that. So in places where they don't have uh, LTE coverage uh, for their cruisers, they could use this technology for uh, locations where LTE coverage is no longer available because uh, that infrastructure has been crippled because of storms. Um, So certainly, I think, you know, truckers, trucks going across the country, uh, trains, mm. uh, motorhomes, anything you right. can, you can envision. Uh, they're working on that technology. So, yeah, that's that's wonderful to hear. And uh, wow, it really sounds like this is going to open up a lot of possibilities in the future. You mentioned you know disasters and those kind of things. How, is this affected by weather at all? So we see some performance changes with weather. Uh, again, this is the floor, not the ceiling. It only gets better and improves. Yep. We've had situations where we're talking with Pekanchikum and they got a snowfall and we're checking in and they're, they've had no issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day, I think we had some freezing rain yep. uh, and that caused some problems for a couple people, but not, uh, not the rest of the unit. So something to investigate to see what's going on there. But I think, you know, maybe it just got more freezing rain than the others because right. the dish runs quite warm. Right. So it melts away mm. uh, any ice or snow or anything oh, yeah. like that. So oh, it, it might just been a case where uh, uh, you know there was more there than it could uh, than yeah. it could work with. And right. uh, yep. 
David, fascinating story. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing this with us, and, and congratulations once again. Yeah, thank you, and I just want to say thank you to everyone from the community of Pekanjikum and, and uh, the team of people and everyone at, uh, at SpaceX for, for this technology and uh, for the community for sharing this vision and journey with us. So um, couldn't have done it without either of them, and uh, I'm just really fortunate to be a part of it all. Well, congratulations once again and uh, to uh, to the community as well. And uh, all the best in the future. Yeah, thanks for the invitation and uh, enjoy your day. All right, you too. Take care. That's the voice of uh, David Brown. He's the CEO of FSET, and it is an information technology company based out of uh, Kenora. And we've been talking to him about their installation of uh, SpaceX uh, Starlink broadband internet into Pukhanjikum. Uh, and it looks like that's going to be providing a lot of great opportunities, not only for the north, but uh, right around uh, the planet, I guess, in, in so many different ways. So fascinating story. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. We really appreciate the fact that you join us each and every day right here on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses, and we'll be right back after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And that, of course, is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. As we start this new year of 2021, I have uh, it's a pleasure to have two guests on the show. We've had one before, actually, uh, last year. And uh, actually, Ken, uh, Ken Smid, the, the, uh, actually a national director for True North Aid, uh, has been, it's been a while since I've had him on. But Amanda Stolk, the, uh, the project and communications director, we did have on late last year uh, talking about the Lego replay launch that was taking place and their association with that. But it's a pleasure to have both uh, Ken and Amanda here on the show with us uh, and to bring us up to date on what is going on with True North Aid. And uh, True North Aid is a dedicated uh, service to supporting northern Indigenous communities in Canada through uh, practical humanitarian support. And uh, they have more than 60% of Indigenous children living below the poverty line um, that they are helping. And there is much work to be done in that area, as we know, and it continues that way. So welcome, Amanda and Ken. Good to be here, David. Thank you. So as I said, you know, we, we last spoke to you about the Lego replay launch program. It was just getting underway at that time. We want to touch base on that. But, you know, you guys have you guys have so many things, you know, ongoing all the time. Ken, you're on the road all the time. You're always uh, traveling around trying to keep on top of these things. Uh, I know you've got this, uh, you had a, a mattress uh, event happening as well. But there's other things. I think Moon Time uh, was something else you guys are involved with. So uh, who wants to start? <laughs> Amanda, as the, the communications director, what do you want us to, to first of all focus on? I mean, there's so many things happening um, that continue to happen. Um, we're just getting some mattresses sent up on its way to the territory. So mm. that's pretty exciting. Uh, we're going to start small and then gradually um, get bigger with that project. Um, so that's happening. Uh, we just had a bunch of um, hockey equipment, seven pallets worth, uh, thanks to Shelly Poulton in Oakville. Mm. Um, where they collected hockey equipment and they sent it up to St. Teresa Point in Manitoba, one of the bigger communities. Mm. And we just received some pictures and some 
testimonial from the community and uh, it makes us cry <laughs> um just to see the kids wearing the hockey gear knowing that it makes such a difference that something so simple mm. as a pair of skates a helmet uh gloves i mean there's so many things it's hard to um pinpoint mm. where to start yeah exactly now, uh, I think something more recent was uh, the Moon Time uh, event that was going on. And of course, that is about is very important, trying to get uh, 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 feminine uh, products for women collected and, and uh, sent to, to uh, different areas for them. Um, Ken, do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, exciting with the Moontime Sisters project. We've been working with them now for a couple of years and officially adopted them as an as a project of True North Aid, I, I believe, in early um, 2019. But um, since then, we have three chapters in total in British Columbia, um, Saskatchewan, uh, where the leader Nicole White lives, and then in Ontario, um, with groups working out of the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. And really, the heart of Moontime Sisters is to stand in solidarity with women and girls living in the north who don't have uh, the same kind of access uh, to these products that um, that we do down here. Um, and if they do, um, they're quite a bit more expensive than they would be here. And so um, through the various drives that take place uh, in Toronto, Ottawa, and uh, Saskatchewan, and now British Columbia, um, they have collected um, through mostly collections, but also the acquisition of supplies at discount, um, a massive amount of, uh, of product uh, to serve and support um, young young women and girls living in the north. So we're absolutely delighted with the work that uh, this group is doing um, right across the country. So that, yeah, that is one of our major projects. And, and that's great to hear. And if people do want to contribute or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, make a donation, how do they how do they go through with that? Yeah, the way True North Aid operates is all of our activities and projects are under eight different funds. And so for Moontime Sisters, it's one of our health projects. And um, and so anybody can go to our website, www.truenorthaid.ca, and uh, go to the donate page. And there you can choose one of the eight funds to donate to. Um, and if you tag that gift, Moontime Sisters, um, you can be assured that that money will go directly to supporting um, that activity. So. Mm. You know, while we're on that topic about Moontime Sisters and Moontime, um, I, I, always, I remember hearing a story from a, an Indigenous woman describing about how Moontime is really a time where women should really be taking care of themselves and, and should really uh, be resting and, and sort of almost, um, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Treating themselves, you know, doing doing nice things for themselves, um, and, and I thought, what a what a wonderful uh, way of, of of looking at that. And I know that's so difficult for for many women. Once you get you know you get a family, you're always busy every day. You can't always do that to treat yourself and and, and uh, do that. But I thought, uh, you know, women certainly need that. They certainly need that time for themselves. And I I thought, what a what a great time that if they could. It would be it would be wonderful them for them to do that during uh, that moon time, which is what it is, I guess, traditionally set aside for uh, to do. So, um, so a wonderful project that you guys have going on there. 
Yeah, and I mean, so many of our projects are led by uh, the most amazing, incredible um, Canadians from coast to coast, whether they live in the north or, or live here in the south, uh, leading these various projects. Um, we only have three staff, two part-time, one full-time um, with True North Aid. So we're relatively a small organization, but with big hearts. And um, it's incredible what we've been able to accomplish uh, through the incredible dedication of our volunteers, uh, like I said, from coast to coast, um, with Moontime Sisters certainly being one of them. Um, but uh, we have uh, executed, I think, almost 50 projects uh, this year. Um, despite uh, the pandemic, uh, we continue to be very, very busy. We've had to adapt. A number of our programs have had to been put on pause. But certainly when it comes to serving the needs, whether it be furniture, uh, sports equipment, food, a fair bit of food has gone up this year. Um, over 20, no, I think 30,000 pounds of flour have gone up through two different projects. Wow. to communities in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario. We have a massive amount of food going to uh, families um, in need in Northwestern Ontario next week, uh, actually this week, which is very exciting. Um, and so a number of major food projects uh, taking place just before the holidays, which is great. Ken, you're gonna, I'm so surprised to hear you say about how many people work in the organization. Can you repeat that again? How many people? <laughs> yeah, we only have one full-time <laughs> staff. That's Amanda, actually. I'm part-time, and we have another staff part-time. So we're a small organization. We're the little train that could, you know. Um, but we certainly have seen unprecedented growth this year um, in our charity um, through donations. Um, and so uh, we're very grateful for that. Um, in particular, during the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. many Canadians turned their attention to the North and, um, and felt that um, with all the inequality and discrimination that has taken place, it's time they do their part and support those who live really in our backyard. Um, and so we saw quite an uptick in donations uh, during the summer, um, which is very exciting to see. And we're just so grateful to be able to serve and support uh, Indigenous peoples, um, uh, you know, through the generosity of, of so many Canadians. Mm. It's really been really cool, too, because a lot of household names have kind of reached out to us. Well, they have um, and donated. So we at Amazon Canada just did an employee match campaign. Mm. So they, they matched uh, up to, well, in total, it's $159,000 that would go towards our food fund and our food initiatives. Um, so that was really, really cool. And they've also put us on their uh, Delivering Smiles campaign, which is where we put a list together of things that we need, some critical care items for um, toddlers and babies, so formula, diapers, which is so difficult to get up north at a decent price. And especially now with the pandemic, lots of people aren't able to leave their communities um, to go get these items. And so they're buying from the Northern store at like crazy prices. So yeah. we're able to, uh, through de generous donations, people go on there, purchase, you know, a box of Pampers and uh, they actually get delivered here in Kingston where we're going to be distributing um, as per request in the communities um, that we're serving. So it's really cool. Some household names like that. Um, mm. And I just did a presentation with Novartis uh, in Canada. And so they're a pharmaceutical company that works with the hospitals. And so we did a, uh, I did a presentation on 
um, health and equities in Northern and Indigenous communities. So um, really cool to be reached out by Amazon, Black & Decker, uh, TikTok. It's been, it's been a great year. Wow, that's, that's really fabulous to hear. Uh, Amanda, you're the only full-time employee. Wow. I mean, you got, you got, what's that? I don't sleep. (laughs) I guess not. Uh, Now, listen, uh, Ken, you've mentioned the eight pillars, and I just want to go to those eight pillars. If people go to truenorthaid.ca, you can see this, you can scroll down the page and you can find out more if you want to make a donation, I guess, to to one of these areas or contribute or volunteer somehow. uh, I'm sure that that they would be more than happy to have you get involved and and participate if you can. So the the, the eight areas that are recognized are self-determination, reconciliation, Water, well, it's a big one. Food, health, housing, hope, and education—all very, very, very important areas. Uh, how do you how do you uh, look at these different areas and and sort of look to see what it is you can do in each one of these? So, fa- self determination, for instance, what is it that you do there? Yeah, well, that's a loaded question, David. But in particular, we were supporting the Ballantine Project um, uh, out in BC, uh, which was uh, basically bringing awareness uh, to Indigenous youth uh, through Dwight Ballantine, um, inspiring youth to to dream and to um, pursue their goals. Mm. Uh, Dwight is a young man from Montreal Lake First Nation, and he's got quite a story. And so that was a self-determination project. Um, uh, Amanda, there are some other self-determination projects, if you can remind us yeah, what they uh, are. The MACWA patrol van. Uh, so we helped oh, yeah. purchase uh, a patrol van in Kenora. And uh, they are kind of a solution, a front line to policing. So things um, like mental health crisis, they respond to helping a lot of the homeless population, which is unfortunately Indigenous in Kenora, the majority of them. So they're, they are taking people to appointments, providing food to them, um, all sorts of support. So with the van, they're able to actually transport people and, and get to the people that need. So that was one of the self-determination projects. And that is um, led by uh, Indigenous people in the community and the Kenora Chiefs Council, tons of volunteers and employees with that. So it was really cool to support that. And then the Lightning Dawn Project, which we were working with Tyg uh, McCauley out in Enoch, Alberta, which is one of our, I think, first projects out in Alberta this year, which has been great, supporting a hockey skills program that helps to bring out leadership, um, initiative, and, you know, really self-esteem so that they become leaders in their community, um, and that's through hockey. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Hockey, of course, is extremely important. We know all about that, don't we, Ken? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So anytime a project supports um, an Indigenous person's uh, pursuit of of their dreams and and their vision and what they want to do, then we would consider that a self-determination project. We have a bit of internal criteria for how we determine what activities fall under each funds. Sometimes there's very much uh, an overlap, but um, self-determination is about empowerment. Um, It's not about our dreams. It's about their dreams and seeing their dreams become reality. Right, of course. Um, okay, uh, reconciliation, um, learning from and growing together. 
Yeah. Um, well, reconciliation, our hockey cares project, David, is as you know very well, um, we would consider that a reconciliation project. As for over three years, youth from Oakville and youth from Attawapiskat came together twice a year um, in July in Oakville, in November in Attawapiskat to build relationships, and that common bond of hockey is what brought them together, and um, and they have became friends as a result and build relationship uh, that way. And so um, that is a reconciliation project as well as uh, the Good Ally project, which is out of Kingston with uh, Katie Koopman and her husband, Stephen. And that's really going up to Fort Hope First Nation and teaching them photography skills and finding creative ways for the King, the community of Kingston to support um, the community of Fort Hope. And so lots of really cool initiatives taking place with the Good Ally project. And that's what we would call reconciliation. That's great. Sounds wonderful. Now, you know, as you said, though, Ken, we, we know that COVID put the put the stop to a lot of things. How did how did COVID COVID affect you guys at True North Aid in terms of of things that you may have had going on that had to be changed because of COVID nineteen? Yeah, well, our Ballantine Entrepreneurial Program out in BC was um, fortunately put on pause um, as a result of COVID because we couldn't bring youth to uh, Vancouver uh, to take part in this four-week program. Hockey Cares, of course, was put on hold uh, this year. We couldn't do the exchange, um, obviously. Um, and so those are the two major programs that um, were put on hold as a result of COVID. Right, But um, everything else, we were uh, able to um, still facilitate a lot of collection drives that normally took place through schools and various faith-based groups couldn't happen. Um, but instead, people gave uh, donations and we were able to make acquisition of supply instead, which, um, in fact, sometimes works a little easier. We did have some uh, groups like a CrossFit out of Mississauga. Um, they actually did a like they did a virtual event or an outdoor event uh, back in September to raise money to support the per- like where they purchased backpacks. Of all 350 kids in uh, Buffalo River uh, Nation in Saskatchewan ha- will have backpacks. I mean. It has put a like it's been more difficult logistics wise because the communities have been shut down mm. and therefore they have um, barriers um, and blockades who's going to be let in or not just because they're worried. Um, yesterday, I read that one in four um, First Nations people in Manitoba have have had COVID. That's the right. test. Right. right. So it's been kind of difficult to get supplies there. And if we do get them, the communities all of a sudden will be locked down. Mm -hmm. So they have to exactly um, distribute supplies, but they, they, you know what, they've been really adaptable. I mean, with our flower project, we sent uh, 20 pallets of flour to uh, support tons of communities, the Kiwatan tribal council in Manitoba Mm -hmm. uh, treaty number three in Northwestern Ontario um, they've been able to adapt and figure out ways how to support families, whether that be just doing small deliveries and just getting their limited amount of volunteers to work together and apply those COVID protocols. So it's it's been interesting to see how resilient people have been and what creative ways they've been able to support their own communities. Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing was logistics with road blockades, making sure the trucks mm. could get through. Right. 
You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm your host, David Moses. This is Moment of Truth. My guests are Amanda Stolk. She's the Project and Communications Director at True North Aid as well. And it's very nice to have Ken back on the show. Haven't spoken with him for quite a while. Ken Smith, he is the National Director at True North Aid. A very busy man indeed. And the True North Aid has their hands full. As we just found out, one full-time employee. And uh, was it two or three part-time employees, Ken? I couldn't remember what you said there. Yeah, there's just two. Just two. Well, you guys do an amazing amount of work for for the, uh, as you say, the, the little train that could. And, and wow, uh, well done to, to you guys for, for all the things you're doing. Now, can, how, how has it been going with the Lego replay launch? How, what's happening with that? So as what I know right now is that they're still collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we do, I've actually designated some boxes to go to Little Grand Rapids First Nation um, I have a really great community contact there who will be able to help to distribute those, especially now with Little Grand Rapids and Pengazi because they're right beside each other. Mm. There's no, there's no school at all. They're mm. the te- because they had a huge outbreak uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, the teachers have been asked to leave the community, so there's no school running, and so um, you have that burden of like, how do you keep the kids occupied? And so we'll be working with Gerald and. Uh, Jordan's principal's team to get the Lego out to the kids so that they can have something to do um, in the meantime when there's no school, which is such a staple up north. You just mentioned Jordan's principal working with with Jordan's principal people. Do you do you often work in conjunction with with other groups or organizations in terms of what you're trying to deliver and, and do within the eight pillars that you work under? I would, yeah, I would say so. Like right now, I have a really uh, great contact and he's been so helpful with helping us extend into Manitoba because we, I get, we've, I think just because we're based out of Ontario, like we live in Ontario, people hear about us more. So he was a great contact who gave us so many community connections up there. So he is part of the Winnipeg Rotary and Rotary Hip Mm. out of Winnipeg. Um, but, I mean, we work with lots of community representatives. So, mostly, I mean, we have some groups that we work with. Um, but a lot of them are, again, volunteers. Sure. Community representatives. Like, I'm working with the Ontario Works director out of Fort Hope to get some winter clothing. Um, it depends. Social service workers in the community. People that are just, you know, want needing, wanting to see their communities thrive and get the help and support. So, um, it is, it's kind of a, a mix, I guess, of different group of people right. um, who are those champions, really, for the North. You know, off the top, we talked about some of the things that you're involved with at True North Aid, and some of those things involve getting items delivered to communities. And getting uh, things delivered to the North is, I guess, not that easy, and it's, it is not inexpensive. So how does True North Aid go about Getting things shipped, do you have uh, specific uh, delivery services that you work with? Do do you have arrangements with specific uh, delivery services that would would help you in terms of either delivering for free or giving you some deals? How how does that side of things work for you guys? 
Well, that's a great question, David. And uh, over the last four years, we've built a lot of relationship with various um, organizations. One of them, Trucks for Change, um, which was formerly led by Pete Dalmazzi, is an incredible uh, organization that networks, I think, over 30 transport companies throughout the country. And so we put in an application. Um, they put it out on their um, system. Um, and then these trucks, whether it be Herb Transport, Gardawine, Manitoulin, um, and the list goes on, may see that request and pick it up. Because um, oftentimes we're shipping maybe anywhere from one to 10 pallets, which isn't very much for a large transport. Mm. And so companies like Bison can pick that up and take it um, to a particular location, uh, an airport or a city center, like from Toronto to Saskatoon. And then from there, we'll use localized uh, trucking partners um, to get it to the community. Usually we reach out to the community and we ask which trucking companies do you use? And now we've got relationship with quite a few of them. So they're, they've been very generous in providing discount. But I would say the majority of our humanitarian expense is transportation, mm. um, whether it be by truck or by air. All right. That's great. Ken and Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. We know you're both very busy. And wow, you guys are doing fabulous work uh, for for the amount of people you have uh, at that True North Aid. Uh, well done to both of you. Congratulations to all the great work that you are, are doing at True North Aid. And, and uh, we're, we really like supporting you any way we can. So thanks once again for taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, David. You bet. You, uh, yeah, Amanda and Ken, please, uh, all the best to you in the new year. And they are the voices of Amanda Stolk. She is the Project and Communications Director at True North Aid, as well as uh, the voice of Ken Smith. He is the National Director at True North Aid. What a pleasure to have them both on the show to hear about the wonderful work they are doing at True North Aid. So if you want to reach out, you want to volunteer, you want to somehow uh, participate, maybe you can donate, maybe you can get involved with uh, uh, some of the, as you said, the logistics, the transportation. You can get a hold of Amanda at Amanda at True North Aid. You can also reach out by phone at 613-305-2331 and go to their website, truenorthaid.ca. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM.